Okay, good. Uh, so there we are. I guess more like it. Uh, okay, so good afternoon, uh, everyone, uh, and uh, welcome to our meditation class. And as usual, I'm going to start off just by saying a few things about meditation, and then we'll get down to the practice uh, very shortly. Uh, and uh, meditation is always such a simple thing on paper. Uh, uh, you read it about it in the suttas, and it's basically about just watching the breath, establish mindfulness, watch the breath, uh, don't do anything at all, just allow the thing to happen. Uh, and that's kind of what meditation is about. Uh, but then when it comes down to doing it, very often it doesn't feel as easy as it's supposed to be on paper. Uh, and so there's always this question, why is that the case? Uh, and the case is usually because the mind is not ready, uh, the mind is not prepared. Uh, if the mindfulness is strong, yeah, then really all you have to do is just to wait. And as you wait with a strong mindfulness, uh, things just gradually disappear. Yeah. Yeah, things kind of fade away. Yeah. You're just aware of them, and as you are aware of them, uh, they lose their power on the mind, uh, they fade into the background, uh, and after a while you just become peaceful, uh, and the meditation happens uh, as it is said to happen in the suttas. Uh. And so we need to prepare the mind. and. Um, a very important aspect of that is to kind of know the state of mind as you start out. Uh, and if there are some serious problems or serious defilements, if you like, in the mind, to overcome those things first of all, uh, instead of sitting down with a mind that is very restless or agitated, or if, if you have some you know, issues or concerns or uh, ill will or whatever it might be, to overcome those things first of all, because they are going to be incredibly disruptive for meditation. Uh, that is always the starting point. Uh, instead of trying to sit with these kind of uh, negative things, uh, actually, usually it doesn't really work if you do that. And sometimes you suppress it and you fall asleep and all kind of negative things happen as a consequence. Uh, so first of all, overcome these things. Uh, and then uh, once you overcome the uh, defilement, I'm not going to talk so much about those today, uh, once you overcome the coarser aspects of these things, uh, then it's about giving the mind a sense of lift, a sense of uplift, a feeling of uh, you know, gladness, a positive mental state. It's such an important aspect, uh, because that positivity makes it enjoyable to be here. Part of the reason why mindfulness can be difficult to sustain, or for the mindfulness to be powerful enough, uh, is simply because doesn't feel very good. Yeah, sometimes the body isn't quite happy, the little pains, the mind is kind of not quite in the right place, so it's kind of a bit yucky and a bit uncomfortable and not quite nice. And it's difficult to be mindful because of that yuckiness <laughs> of existence, whatever you want to call it. So to overcome that, we need to counter it with some kind of positive sense, positive feeling. Yeah. And there are so many ways of doing this, and this is one of the main aspects of the Buddha's way of teaching meditation, how to give rise to these kind of positive feelings. Uh, sometimes it happens automatically through the process of meditation. You just stay still and it comes by itself. Uh, other times you need to give the mind a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of reminder uh, of what actually uh, is joyful about the spiritual path, why it is so powerful, why it is so useful, and all of these kind of things. Uh, and last night I was talking a little bit about the um, uh, kind of path in general. Uh, and uh, some of the ways that the Buddha describes the spiritual path are incredibly inspiring. Uh, and if you kind of get your 
head around that and you get some faith and confidence in those ideas. It's, it's just really remarkable and incredibly uplifting. Yeah. And one of the suttas that kind of always stood out for me is this idea of the simile of the city. Yeah. Yeah, what I'm talking about now is like a Dhamma reflection, Dhamma Nupassana, a recollection of the Dhamma, if you like. Yeah. And so this simile of the city is this idea that uh, we are kind of on this adventure journey uh, when you're doing the spiritual path. Uh. And the Buddha likens it to walking through the jungle, uh, and the jungle is like our ordinary life. Uh, yeah, it's not kind of, we're kind of immersed in this world. Uh, we can't really extract ourselves from this world. We're kind of blocked in, the light is blocked out by the canopy of the jungle trees and all of these kind of things. Uh. And so we are in this jungle, and then we come to this path. That's, of course, the Noble Eightfold Path. And as you follow that path, eventually you come to a clearing in the jungle. And when you come to the clearing in the jungle, you discover this ancient city. Yeah, this ancient, because other people have discovered it in the past. You're rediscovering this amazing thing. It's like you can imagine if you are traveling somewhere on the jungle uh, and it's always fun to be like a little bit of an adventurer sometimes when you walk through the bush even yeah and you see little things that you know whatever it might be uh, and you are on this incredible adventure journey uh, and this is how i think why the buddha talks about this discovery of the ancient city in the jungle this way uh, except that the dhamma is the greatest adventure that anyone can have uh, where everything in your life can be fulfilled uh, if you take it all the way uh, all the happiness you ever wanted, uh, all the end of suffering that you're ever looking for, uh, even sufferings you didn't even know existed, uh, kind of get overcome through this path. Uh, and of course, the very sense of achieving meaning and purpose and a real aim in life, uh, all of these things are fulfilled by this incredible journey. Uh. And so by thinking about the Dhamma in the right way, thinking about these teachings, uh, what their purpose is, uh, the Buddha often talks about this uh, twofold words, Dhamma and Atta, and Dhamma is the teaching of the Buddha. Huh? This is the, like the instruction manual. Huh? This is what you find in the suttas. Huh? And the Atta is the purpose. Huh? It's where we're heading. Huh? It's the aim of this path. And it's this extraordinary aim. Huh? And this is the journey that we're on. Huh? This is the adventure that we're on. Huh? It's very uplifting huh? and a very positive sense of what this path is about. Huh? And so if you ever feel that your mind needs a little bit extra because uh, it is not mindfulness isn't strong enough, uh, or you feel that you know the kind of the ordinary little sufferings and problems of life are kind of letting you down or whatever, then sometimes try to kind of try to use these various techniques to lift the mind up and remember the power and the beauty and the meaning of, of this spiritual path that we are practicing and what the Buddha actually is promising us if we do practice this path in the right way. So just a few words there on the how to kind of lift the mind, make the mindfulness powerful enough uh, then to enable ultimately the meditation to happen and especially maybe the meditation on the breath itself. Uh. So let's uh, try this out in practice and see what happens. Uh.
Okay, so as always, start off by feeling uh, everything, feeling the body, feeling the mind, uh, knowing what it is that you have to do to progress gradually away from the problems and towards the positive qualities uh, that we're trying to develop. Uh, and especially in the beginning, the body is often not 100% comfortable. So make sure that you have that positive perception towards your body. And gradually allow yourself to find that ease in the body by sending some thoughts of kindness and gentleness to whatever problems there may be, to ease the body, to become nice and comfortable and at ease where you're sitting. And through this process, you're also stilling down at the same time uh, and gradually allowing mindfulness to arise. Uh, so take this process slowly. Uh, know what it is that you need to do. Uh, know what the problems are. Uh, overcome them uh, and then gradually move forward. Uh.
And uh, as you start to settle down, uh, get into this habit of just observing what is happening. Uh, and as you start to observe things coming and going, uh, whatever they might be, uh, the more gradually, the more powerful that act of observation is, uh, the less effect these things have on your mind. Uh, they come and they go, they arise and they pass away. Uh, but gradually, gradually, they lose the power on the mind uh, and they diminish in the force. Uh, so your job is just to observe, uh, to stand back from these phenomena, uh, to be aware and over time they gradually fade into the background uh, and mindfulness increases uh, as a consequence. Uh, this is one of the simplest and most kind of powerful ways of doing the meditation practice. Uh, and if the mind is ready, uh, it will be able to do this sort of thing. And then gradually, slowly, slowly, the meditation comes together. Yeah.
and uh, as you carry on in this way, uh, make sure you don't uh, fall into a rut or a bad habit uh, where the mindfulness declines and the meditation doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and if you have you, if you need to, just very gently, sometimes in between, uh, nudge the mind in the right direction. Uh, Remind yourself that this journey of meditation is like an exploration, an adventure. Uh, and the end point is such a powerful and beautiful thing. Uh, and as you practice this path, uh, we're all moving in that direction. Uh, it's something very positive, uh, something to be glad and uplifted about. Uh, and so try to see the positive side of this. Uh, and as you do so, find that brightness within, uh, which enables the meditation to work. Uh.
Okay, <coughs> everyone, so uh, uh, coming towards the end, uh, and uh, as always, I would recommend you just to very briefly review the meditation at the end uh, and ask yourself some very simple questions about how the meditation works, uh, what it means to let go, uh, what it means to give rise to certain perceptions, uh, and how these things relate to the qualities of peace and uh, joy or whatever else happens in the meditation. Okay, everyone, so if anyone has any questions or comments, this is a good time to uh, bring it up. Uh, so, uh, everyone is okay? Uh, yeah, over here, okay. Uh, Bill, we have a question over here, a couple of questions over here. Yeah, one over here. Mm. Ajahn, last mm. night in your talk, you talked about the arising and passing away of the five khandhas. Mm -hmm. I have a question, just a clarification in regards to consciousness, one of the aggregates. So is it that in our normal lives we see eye consciousness through the sense door as continuum, yeah. as well as the ear consciousness, but in reality there's a rising and ceasing and we don't see that? Yeah, essentially, yeah. So, uh, and the, the idea is that uh, eye consciousness is kind of fundamentally different from ear consciousness. Uh, and because they are fundamentally different, there is no continuity. Uh, yeah? If you just look at the idea of awareness, awareness seems like it's continuous, uh, but actually it isn't. Uh, and this is, uh, this is very hard to see. Yeah? This is kind of uh, when you come to the very, very deeper aspects of meditation practice. Uh, so the preliminary, one of the most important things in meditation is to kind of get a bit of distance uh, from everything that is happening here. And you can see that as your meditation becomes deeper, it's like you, you can see the thought, you identify less with the thinking, for example. Uh, you know, one of the things about thinking, one of the reasons why it is so hard to let go of, uh, is because it is your, my thoughts. Yeah? You feel like you're there in the middle of the thought. I am doing this thinking. This is important to me. It is about my life, about solving problems or whatever. Uh, but after a while, you kind of get a distance and they become less yours. Uh, they become like an object in a sense. Uh, and as you stand apart from those things, and you become more an object, they become less important to you. Uh, and it's far easier to let go. Uh, and you identify more with the knowing of the thinking uh, rather than the thinking itself. Uh. And this is kind of the beginning, yeah? This is kind of the mind consciousness. Then after 
that mind becomes very powerful, then you can start to get into this uh, differentiation of the different senses, the different kind of consciousnesses, etc. So it's kind of a six consciousness involved as well. But that's mind consciousness, and mind consciousness is what kind of gives everything an overall feel of being me. Yeah, because it kind of is. It's every other, uh, all the other five sense consciousnesses, uh, they get taken up by the mind, uh, and the mind gives it a feeling of continuity and overall uh, gives an overall sense of uh, belonging to whatever. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so good. So let's uh, take a rest. Thank you so much. Excellent. So only one question from us. <laughs> okay. That's good. So we have a question from Diana. Diana. Okay. Diana, but in two words. Uh, what is the role of active kindfulness versus pa passively watching? How do we know which way to go? Uh, so, um, it, I think usually you need a bit of both. Yeah, it's a bit of both of passive watching and active kindfulness. And usually, uh, uh, the idea of passive. Uh, watching usually is what mindfulness of breathing is about. Uh, it's allowing the breath to be, uh, not controlling the breath, uh, but allowing the breath to be, to have a sense of distance from the breath. Uh, then as you have that distance, the breath naturally goes in a certain direction, which it means it calms down, it becomes simpler, it becomes more, you get a broader awareness of it and all of these kind of things. Uh, so the idea is to be passive. Uh, but even if you... Uh, and so the way that kindfulness comes into the idea of breath meditation uh, is to kind of get it started in the beginning. Yeah? You build up a positive perception because a positive perception reduces the problems in the mind, reduces the defilements, reduces anything that is distracting. Yeah? Yeah, if you feel good within, uh, there's less need to think about things uh, and all of these kind of things. So it resolves a large, large amount of issues uh, if you have a sense of good feeling within. Uh, so you start with the kindfulness, and when you, this is one of the things I, why I use the idea of nudging the mind a little bit. Uh, you already, from the past, you have built up certain ideas from the past, built up an idea of the people around you, uh, yeah, that they are good people, uh, or you have a perception of the Buddha maybe, uh, or you have a perception of something you have done in the past, an act of generosity or whatever, and because those perceptions are there at the back of your mind, yeah, and if you are someone who lives by the five precepts or whatever, you have every reason to feel good about yourself, right? And in a kind of quiet, non-egotistical uh, kind of way. Uh, and so you bring that to mind. Uh, and you think, yeah, I'm living a good life. Uh, I have every reason to feel, you know, why shouldn't I feel happy about that? Uh, and so you bring up that thought very gently. Uh, but it's more like a nudging of the mind. Uh, it's not a major kind of thinking process. Uh, and that kind of gives you a little bit of a boost. Uh, and then and that adds to the meditation on the breath. Uh, yeah? And then you can, you know, if then things get a bit dry again, you can do these things occasionally, but the more peaceful the mind is, uh, the less activity you want, uh, because all kind of activity disturbs the mind when it starts to become really peaceful. Uh. And then you have the metta-meditation. Metta-meditation is a little bit different, uh, because then you often will use like a mantra or a word, uh, you know, may I be happy, or may... Uh, such and such be happy, or may all beings be happy, or, or however you do the metta meditation. Uh, and uh, that is a bit more activity uh, until 
something happens and it becomes kind of more, it just happens automatically because the feeling is very strong or you get maybe a nimitta or something like that in your mind. Uh, so it's kind of using these things together and knowing the right time to use it. Uh, and often you will feel that, what feels right uh, uh, at the time. Uh. So I hope that is uh, helpful. Uh, so that is all for today. Let's just pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Ah, please, okay. For, uh, sorry. Yeah, just uh, yeah. one yeah. question. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when the consciousness uh, detaches from the aggregates yeah. and ho has no object to hang on to, does this consciousness cease to exist? When it detaches from the aggregates, it doesn't detach from the aggregates, it detaches from certain aspects of the aggregates, yeah? So there are certain things that you let go of, and initially what we let go of is the defilements and the thinking mind to make the mind peaceful. Uh, but the consciousness is always conjoined with some of the other aggregates. There's always some feelings there, there's always some perception there, consciousness is there. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and this goes all the way to the deepest kind of samadhi you can possibly get. Uh, these things always go together, uh, and until everything stops. Uh, yeah. 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 Thank you. Okay. Ajahn Bhamri, regarding the last two questions, you know, you're saying about the, uh, the five aggregates, you know, they arise and fall. Mm. I think if we were to sort of compare that to the three characteristics too, you know, of existence, you can see that clearer. You know. The three characteristics is impermanence, no self, okay, mm. that's the emptiness, and suffering, you know, okay. Mm. So normally in our life, things are like, Horizontal normally, and then the things, yeah, and then the problem a problem arises, okay. Mm. But the arising the problem is impermanent. Mm. But because we we think it's impermanent, we we, we keep grasping, we, we suffer, you know? and the suffering, the suffering is a stress. You know? mm. If we're understanding thing, it's it, it's uh, unless we're going to die this okay, mm. it's imp it'll, it'll go down. But you know. You, you see what I mean? Don't, don't, don't grasp things, that's what you're saying. Don't grasp because yeah, grasping we, 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 suffering. Because yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. the problem is, it arises, mm. it, 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 it says uh, something not nice, uh, you know, we have this negative feeling, you know, it's, mm. it's from this phenomena, okay? The thing is that we still have this negative, disturbing emotion because you are still harping on that situation, you know? mm. okay? And then once, if you know that the situation is impermanent, it will mm. come down, you know, okay? Mm. Okay, that then we, yeah. we, we are, you know, we, we are, yeah. how do I say, we are in control of the situation, you know. Yeah. And then when it arises, the suffering, the suffering is stressful. Yeah. If you look, look at yeah. this together, then you can see more clearly. You see what I mean? Of course, yeah. yeah. So we, basically, you have to find little uh, strategies to overcome the issues, uh, and yeah. that, that is a good strategy. Remember, it's impermanent, all kind of strategies. And then you. A lot of, you yeah, do yeah, that, tools, you, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I find what helps me is equanimity. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's pay respect to the Buddha Masanga.